God is good. Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, um, I would like for you to turn them to the book of Romans. And we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Romans. We've really just kind of gotten just barely started. You know, the first week we were in the round pen, so to speak. Last week we opened the gate. And I don't know as if we took two or three steps, but we made a step or two anyway. But as I mentioned to you last week, we can really be guilty of of just hitting a long trot or maybe even a lope, and we can run across the pasture at a high rate of speed. But trust me, as you go through the book of Romans, you could ride the ridge if you want to, but you're going to miss a whole lot. And so what we're going to do is we are going to do what these cowboys here in this part of Texas and other places do. They prowl, P-R-O-W-L, they prowl. What does that mean? They're going to take diligent action in their watching and their their looking and their seeking as they ride through the mesquite and cactus and so on and so forth in order that they don't miss a cow or a calf or a bull that's held up somewhere they're going to prowl the country that's what we're going to be doing in the book of romans we're not going to hit a long shot or we're not going to lope through it we're going to prowl through the book of romans because there's there's so much doctrine in here and so much of our faith that is so important here and I don't want to miss anything. So please bring your paper and pad with you. Take notes as we go through the book of Romans. Um, and it will not be a quick study. It's going to be a lengthy study. But we do not want to miss what God has for us here in the book of Romans. Wednesday night is Daniel. So don't miss that if you all want to come and learn more about Daniel and where we are in the timeline of the events of the coming of God's kingdom. Come and learn more about that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father God, thank you, Lord, for every single person that's here today, for all the cowboys and cowgirls that'll make their way, and some of them are probably even on the road right now coming here, Lord, in order that they can be a part of of winning some prizes, Lord, and some cash as they show off, Father, their abilities, Father, in the arena. And uh, Lord, we ask that you'd watch over and protect them, and Lord, that you would bless our our event this afternoon, Father, that it wouldn't just be a a ranch rodeo event, but God, that you, Jesus Christ, would be the event this afternoon. Father, for you this, this, this day, we need you to help us by your Holy Spirit, be our teacher. And Lord, as we turn to your word, we're going to ask God that you would, would lead and direct us and teach us, Father, the amazing truths that are found in your word today and why they're relevant for us in 2017 and the importance of these truths that are found in the book of Romans that you wrote uh, through the Apostle Paul, Father. We pray that you teach us. We thank you for all you're doing and all the things that you've done for us and will do in the future. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you all ready to saddle up and go? Don't worry, we're not going to go fast, so here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. We're going to stop right there today. And last week, if you remember, we, we touched on the very first part here where Paul says that I am a servant. We looked at this, and the translation of that word servant really means to be a bond slave or a slave of Christ. And we talked about what Paul was trying to do here with that word. But Paul here is writing to the church in Rome, and he's giving validation, if you will, to not only who he is, not only what he is, but why he is writing to this church. Now, he has to authenticate himself to these people whom he's never met, 
and he's never been to Rome. And he, he's, he's writing this letter to them, and he's wanting to validate and also authenticate, is that even a word? Authenticate, there we go, who he is. You all know what I mean. Trying to authenticate who he is. In other words, if you were to receive a letter from someone that you didn't even know, and uh, there's, there's just a name there, and you received a letter, I don't even know if many of you might even read the letter. Now, if the President of the United States wrote you a letter and signed it, you might actually open the letter. Or possibly, uh, oh, what is that? Uh, the one where they give the money away? Reader's Digest or something? What is that? Publisher's Clearinghouse. There we go. You can tell I wouldn't open it because I don't even know what it was. But anyway... Um, you know, you get that mail, and it says first class, and you open it up, and it's just a piece of trash. You know what I'm saying? Like it's some important, important document, open immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing. But anyway, so Paul here is writing to a people that he's never met. These are Christians that are in Rome, primarily Gentile, if you will. And we know that in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, we know that there were many there in Jerusalem that had come now to this feast, one of the major feasts of their celebrations from all over the known world, enlisted in that group at Pentecost when the disciples, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are actually sharing the gospel, if you will, in other languages of other people um, from all over the world. And, of course, those from Rome were actually there. It's mentioned in Scripture and so Paul had never met these people, but there was a church in Rome, and now Paul is writing to them, and he's going to share with them now the actual doctrine given to him by God. It's very important that we understand that. So Paul here is introducing himself very carefully. It's almost as if with surgical precision, Paul the apostle wrote this with these words for this purpose. And if you're like me, oftentimes you can go right on through there and miss exactly what Paul is getting at in this letter. And he wanted them to know who he was, what he was, and why he was writing this letter to them. If you study the New Testament, you're going to find something very interesting about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is constantly having to authenticate his apostleship. In other words, we're going to learn here in a few minutes, why is this so important? Why is this thing where he moves on and says, I'm not only a slave of Christ, but I am a called apostle? Why is it so important that Paul puts the word in there, an apostle? Well, if you were going to introduce yourself, there's many ways in which you could do that. And he begins this in a very peculiar way. And he didn't go into a long discourse about all of his accomplishments in order that he may impress them with all the letters in front of his name. He didn't give him his pedigree, the fact that he was a, a Jew, or he was born of, of, of this tribe, or he was born here, or whatever. He didn't give him the rundown on his education, if you will. He didn't even send them an airbrushed selfie of who he, what he looked like. You know what I mean? Some of you have done that, haven't you? Yeah. By the way, those dating services, listen, you don't know who you're talking to. He looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger until you meet him in person. You know what I mean? Anyway, it's amazing what you can do with that. But moving on. So Paul here starts out in a really strange way. He says, oh, by the way, those of you in Rome, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. That's what I am. I am his slave. 
I am a willing slave of Christ who set me free from the slavery of sin and death, and now I'm a slave to righteousness and to Christ who paid the highest price for my freedom and the most joy and gratitude that I can express. I praise God, and I am thankful and blessed to be a slave of Christ. And Paul writes that. He he emphasizes this in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He also says it also in Philippians 3. And uh, in about verse 8 down there, I could read more, but I'm going to read this. Paul says, doubtless I count all things. He goes through a list of everything that he can brag about, all that he's done. And there's no doubt that Paul had a lot to brag about when it came to the things that God had used him for. But all of his past, all of his pedigree, all of his training, everything about Paul. And in verse 8 he says this, I count all things but loss for the excellency and the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, everything in my life is nothing compared to the greatness of knowing who Christ Jesus is. He moves on and says this, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but... Here you go, dung. Paul says, in relation to the greatness and the magnitude of coming to know this Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior, I count everything else in my life that I thought was so great and so important. On the scale, it is as if dung compared to the greatness and the majesty of who Christ is. And that's how Paul writes that. We also know that on the road to Damascus, after he had his salvation experience, that when he was getting ready to go to the house of Ananias, Ananias is told by Christ to go and lay hands on him so he could receive his sight. And he tells Ananias, Christ does, he says, this is my chosen instrument, right? And he will take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now, there is no doubt the apostle Paul suffered in many ways. He was beaten multiple times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night at sea. I mean, the guy had spent I don't know how much time in prison, unbelievable amount of time in prison. I mean, he had went through unbelievable things, but a suffering that Paul experienced was the fact that he was always having to validate the fact that he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he was no less an apostle than the twelve. He was just the same in relation to the apostleship As they were. And we're going to learn why that's so significant. Why is that so important that Paul validates that to these people? It's very, very important that we understand why. This is what it means now to be an apostle. This is just the definition. Y'all can write this down. You can put it in your mind. You can remember it. There is a general sense where an apostle is simply a messenger. That's what they are. But what Paul is referring to here is not simply a messenger sent by God. This is an actual office with a very specific calling for only a very few people. And so Paul here is trying to share with them something very, very important. So this is a very unique call, very unique. This is not only a very unique call, it's very limited in who was called. And then it was also an official title only given to a handful of people. That's it. And we're going to see why and how that came about. So what is the test, if you will, and what are the requirements that Scripture gives us in order that someone would be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
What are they? We are simply going to today look at four things. Now remember, Paul is, he is validating and he is sharing with those in Rome that I am a called apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I am writing to you as an authority and I'm writing to you on behalf of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to be sharing with you in the next many chapters are actually the doctrine of Christ. That's what it is. It's as if Christ was speaking directly to you, and he is now sharing this with those in Rome. So he's validating that they can trust his apostleship, that what he's sharing with them is actually the very word of God. It's very important we understand that. So there is a test in Scripture that validates an individual as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why is this so very, very important? Because there are a lot of frauds out there, amen? It's a lot of frauds. And so in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus Christ writing now through John, right, the Revelation, and he's talking to the seven churches, and he goes to the first church, the church of Ephesus, and he goes in there and tells them that they've lost their first love, they've left it, so on and so forth, and then he moves into some of the good things that they're doing. He says this, I'm just going to read it to you. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. And then he says this, you have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles and are not, but you have discovered that they are what? Liars. So this is very, very important because there were many in the day after Christ and during the time of the disciples or the apostles that many claimed that they were the very mouth of God, if you will. That what they were sharing was the very gospel, it was the very voice of God, as if God was speaking through them. They had that kind of authority. But what, what, what we learn here is that the early church would examine individuals to see whether they were really an apostle or not. And the truth is, there's a litmus test for that. They dressed the part, they wore the right clothes, they had the right look, but they were nothing more than a sham. That's all they were. And by the way, let me say this. It's very important that you understand that. So you get this today. And please, you've got to hear my heart here, guys. You must know the Word of God. We have no excuse. We have no excuse today. We have the finished revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the reasons the apostolic ministry was in place was because Scripture was not completely written. So they were writing Scripture, if you will. They didn't have the compiled Word. These 66 books, listen to me, are the complete totality of the Word of God. Anyone out there that adds to these 66 books, listen to me. It is a facade. It is not the word of God. And you will get bucked off quick if you do not stay with just the word of God. Take the Mormons, for example. Oh, they're going to tell you all about the Holy Bible. Oh, but we have this other book. It's called the Book of Mormon where Joseph Smith had these visions, had on some pretty cool goggles, looked into a rock, and bam, you got the Book of Mormon. Well, all of a sudden, 
you've got, a, you've got God who was once a man. He marries a heavenly mother. They have spirit children. And all of a sudden, you've got Jesus and Satan who are brothers. So they're going to use the Bible as a forefront. But anytime you add to this the very authority of the Word of God, you're going to break your sense and you're going to get bucked off on your head every single time. So anyone out there, any, any denomination, religion, anything out there that adds to this, the complete finality, the canon of Scripture, you're in for a wreck. That's how you get these made-up things that are formed. That's how you get things like purgatory, which is not biblical. There's no such thing as a waiting place where the dead are going to go and they simply have to go through a purification process before they go to heaven. It's not biblical. It's not in the Word of God. It's not there. You can't pray someone out of there. You can't pay someone out of there. It was paid for by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ for everyone that is in Christ Jesus. So listen, you got to understand what I'm saying this morning. I'm saying this with compassion. Yes, with passion. But I want you to know, do not take what I say or any other man says. You hear me? You read and study the word study it. You do that, all right? Please, please do that. And if you buck your bridle off today, listen to me. Some of you are going to buck your bridle completely off your head. You're going to do it. But before you blow up and head to the back 40, get the Word of God out and study it for yourself and see if what Paul tells us is true. See if it's true, okay? All right, so we're going to move on here. So they were imposters, and we have imposters today. They're everywhere. And so the test of this is very, very clear. And it's very, very important that we understand this, that he's going to show us the test of what it means to be an apostle. The very first thing we want to talk about today is that he must have been personally called, personally called by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about from his mouth. Personally called to be an apostle. Very important you understand this. In Luke 6, if you have your Bible, you just want to write it down. It's going to hopefully be up here. Luke 6, 12 through 17. Jesus is going to choose now 12 apostles. Jesus had lots of disciples, but look what he does. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he comes down, calls his disciples to himself, his disciples, calls the disciples now, and then he chose 12 of them to be apostles. And then it's going to give every one of their names, and you can see that in Scripture. They're all mentioned. So there were several, lots of disciples who were following Christ, but Christ, with his mouth, chooses 12 men by name and says, you are going to be my apostles. Very important. So we know that they, number one, had to be called by Christ by name. <clears throat> so he selected the 12 from the group. In Acts chapter 19 now, I just shared this a moment ago, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. So now we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. This is the litmus test. Was Paul a genuine apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? Was he? We're going to see what the Word of God says. 
This is a litmus test. Must have been called specifically by the mouth of Christ to be an apostle and told that they would be. Galatians 2, 6 through 9. And I know I'm just simply teaching this morning. So that's all this is going to be is teaching. I'm not doing anything but teaching today. This is what it says. And the leaders of the church, Galatians 2, 6 through 9, had nothing to add to what I was preaching, Paul says. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as, we, as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so we find out Paul here is reiterating the fact that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. But you also remember in Acts chapter 9 that on the road to Damascus, Paul, going to persecute Christians, he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, and Jesus speaks to him, and Jesus is revealed to him, and Paul literally sees the resurrected Savior. He sees them. He sees him there. So Paul actually was called by Christ to be an apostle with his very mouth. That's what he did. The second thing is this. This is the test. He had to have been called by Christ personally to be an apostle. The second thing is this. He must have seen the risen Lord to give witness now to the resurrection of Christ. He had to see the resurrected Savior with his own eyes. Now, how many people have seen the resurrected Savior in this day and age with their own eyes? Have you met anyone? I'm just asking. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't met anybody, right? Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> we know that Jesus, that the, his disciples were the ones that saw his resurrection. We're going to get to that here. In Acts 1, 21 through 22, write this down. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time that we were traveling with the Lord Jesus Christ, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken up from us. And this is the reason. Whoever is chosen to replace Judas, which we know that Judas, he, he what? He hung himself and so on and so forth, betrayed Christ. He was the one that was to betray Christ for the 30 pieces of silver like the Old Testament prophesied he would do. And then it says, whoever's chosen will join as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. And so they choose Matthias, because Matthias had seen the resurrected Savior. How are you going to give and bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as an apostle, officially, if you've never seen the resurrected Lord? They had to have seen the resurrected Savior. Acts 26, 12 through 18. Hang in here with me. I know this is a lot of reading, but I want you to see this. <clears throat> Paul is now before the, before the court, and he's sharing his story. And this is what he says in about verse 13 of 26. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet. For I appeared to you to appoint you as a witness and as my servant. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior of the world, appears to him and Paul sees the resurrected Savior and hears the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Number two, they had to have seen the resurrected Savior of the world. Paul saw that. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, just for your, write it down, 9 and 1, he's trying to do this again, telling people this, I'm trying to defend myself as an apostle. You can imagine, a guy goes from killing the church and having him stoned and thrown in prison to all of a sudden now, boom, he's preaching the same gospel that he's trying to eradicate. Paul had a struggle with letting people know, hey, I'm really who I say I am, right? He says, am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my work that you belong to the Lord? So he must have seen him personally with his own eyes and been personally called by the Lord Jesus Christ. The third one, there's only four. You're lucky, there's only four, all right? Here we go. The third one's this. The apostle must have been literally taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. Taught. Why is this important? As I mentioned earlier, the canon of Scripture was not written yet. It wasn't written So as we're reading the pages of the New Testament, as the writers and the apostles are sharing the doctrines of Christ, they're literally doing exactly what Christ told them to, to therefore go into all the world and preach the gospel, or therefore go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And for three years, the 12 disciples who were apostles were were taught literally, person to person, face to face, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when they came years later and put together this Bible that we call the complete canon of Scripture, guess what some of the requir- one of the main requirements was? It had either been written by an apostle or it had to be doctrinally stated as an apostle. That's why there's so many things out there. You get the book of Judas and all these crazy things. And I have people ask me, hey, John, I read this on the Internet that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. Wow. What, what book did you get that one out of? By the way, the Internet's a great thing, but isn't it crazy? If you're getting your sources from the Internet, you're in trouble. That's all i got to say. That is a lie. It's not in the Word of God. It's crazy that people make all these jacked-up things. But you've got to know the Word of God, Right? And so they had to have been taught. Now, Paul is going to show us this here. We know that the disciples were taught by Christ. And you say, John, why are you, why are you laboring this? You're going to, we're going to get there. Hang on. In Galatians 1, 6 through 12, this is what Paul shares. He's writing to the church of Galatia. I am shocked, he says, that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through his loving mercy of Christ, You are following a different way or another gospel. There's a lot of gospels out there, but there's only one true gospel. Let me say this very clearly, emphatically, that you understand this. As a pastor speaking to his people, listen to me. There are not many roads to God. And we have religious people who will stand before the world on a world stage and who will be drawing religions from all facets of our society, bringing them all together under the guise that they have their way and we have our way, but we are all getting our way to God. That is, guys, that's bucking the bridle off, you hear me? Because the Bible explicitly says, Jesus Christ, I am the way, I am the only truth, and I am the only life. 
And nobody, you know what nobody means in Greek? Nobody, okay. Nobody comes to God the Father. Nobody comes to God the Father. That means nobody comes to God except, listen, except through me. Now hold, hold. This is why this is so important. Because as this, as this machine and this time is moving forward, you want to find out where we are and what's happening. Go, we're, gonna, we're teaching Daniel. It's exciting to see what God has already laid out for us. We can know what's going on in our world and where we're at. We don't know exactly when the return of Christ is coming and his kingdom is coming, but it is coming. And he's laid these things out for us in Scripture. Now listen, one of the things we're going to notice that in the last days, it's going to be the coming together of all these religions underneath the name of God. And they're all going to come together in all different ways. And you hear it all over Hollywood and all over TV and religious leaders who are nearly worshipped in our country coming together saying every one of us, whether you're a Buddha, whether you're a Hinduist, whether you're whatever, we're all just getting to God and you can go your own way. But that is the Antichrist and that is the Antichrist system and that is a lie. Jesus Christ is the only way. It's the only way. Okay. Some of you probably bucked your bridle off right there. But that's okay. You'll get tired after a while. So Paul wants us to know, God wants us to know these things. Very, very important. So these people were already turning away from God, following another gospel. What is salvation? It's not by works. It's not by works. If, you're, if, you're, if you think you've got to do all these works to become good enough for God to accept you, you're never going to make it. Salvation in Ephesians chapter 2 is by grace alone, through faith alone. It is a gift of God, so no man can boast. This is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So you can't work your way to heaven. It's a free gift from Christ. That's what it is. It's an amazing gift. But they're, they're already swerving, they're all, already bucking their bridles off here, and Paul says, you're following another gospel. And then he says this. Listen to the words of Paul. This is serious. Let God curse fall on anyone including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel than the one that we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news or gospel than the one we, one we welcomed, let that person be cursed. And he moves on in 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I receive the message from no human source, Paul says, and by the way, he says, no one taught me what I'm sharing and what I'm preaching to you. Listen to this. Instead, this is the crick, this is it right here, the test. I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And we know that Paul went to Arabia for three years. And that's where Christ taught him this whole gospel of grace that we are entered into. So the disciples, the third litmus test. To be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you had to have been called by Jesus Christ from the very mouth of Christ. You had to, with your own literal eyes, see the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And thirdly, you had to personally, by the Holy Spirit, by, the, by Christ himself, you had to personally have been taught by Christ the truths of the Word of God. Say, John, why is it important? Because they were literally speaking as the mouth of God to men. That's exactly why it was so critically important. 
Now, we're going to get to the last one, all right? Here we go. They were fourthly, very important, given the authority and power for miraculous signs and wonders. It's very, very important today. We've got a lot of people seeking signs and wonders, lots of them. Matthew 10, 1 through 4, this is what Jesus, he called his disciples, it says, the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he mentions the name of the 12 apostles that he gave authority to work these miraculous signs and wonders. What did they do? It validated their apostleship. That's what it did. It validated it. The power of Christ in them. Now, we know that the apostle Paul also himself had the same exact authority and the same exact gift from the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. You can write it down and look it up. Paul says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. He's constantly having to defend himself. He says, I demonstrated this in front of you. What did he demonstrate? Signs, wonders, and miracles. Fourthly, in order to be called an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostolic office of apostle, you had to, number one, seen the resurrected Jesus Christ with your very own eyes. You had to, number two, be called by the very mouth of Christ himself to be an apostle. Number three, the, the third thing you had to have done is been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself the doctrines of the foundation of the faith that we know as Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, you had to have been given the authority by Christ to drive out evil spirits and to do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders that would val validate who you were before everyone who was watching that you were truly an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul here, you say, John, why is this so stinking important today? Why in the world are we, let's move to the next pasture. I'm done already. Because this is so critical. Let me say this. Do not miss this, please. And if this bucks your bridle off, listen. In Christ's love, I'm coming to you in compassion as a pastor. Listen. The apostolic ministry, the apostolic age and office ended after the 12 and the Apostle Paul, it was over. There is not a succession of the apostolic ministry. We have to understand that. Why? Because they were giving all these things in order that they would write the very word of God as if actually speaking for God himself. They were the foundation. The Bible says that the church was built upon the apostles and the prophets, right? That's what it was built upon. And upon the cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ. The foundation was laid by the apostolic ministry. And since the apostolic ministry, Jesus, talking to Peter, he says, Peter says, you are Christ, the son of a living God, in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16, I believe it is, he says this. And, and Jesus responds back to Peter. He says, and I tell you, this is what I'm telling you, Peter, you are Petros. You are Petros, Peter. And Peter's like, what? Petros in the Greek means this. Peter, you are a stone or a pebble. That's what you are. And then he moves to this next phrase. And then he says, and upon this 
Petra. What does that mean? That means a rock like a mass rock. A massive rock. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Do you understand that? The church is not built on Peter the pebble. He is only a part of the foundation. This church is built on Christ, the rock of ages. That's who it's built on. Say, well, John, why is that so important? Because there's, there's religions out there and beliefs out there that still believe that the apostolic succession is still happening. Like the papacy, that they are simply following along from Peter, who they say was the very first pope. And they're following along succession. That the very pope today, as you watch on the main screen of our TVs, literally is the vicar of God. He is the mouth of God who actually can have new revelation. Listen to me. There's no new revelation. It's all here. It's here. And we have bishops who believe that they are from the direct line of the apostolic ministry. I'm sorry, dude. You're not. You're not. It's very dangerous. It's why this is so important today that we understand this, that Jesus Christ, if you go to Daniel chapter 2, and I'm finished, and some of you are probably like, John, this is just like, boop. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and Daniel interprets the dream. Holy God gives him the interpretation of the dream. It's about four kingdoms of the world. The very first one was the Babylonian kingdom, which is the head of gold. That's who it is. And who was that? That's Nebuchadnezzar. And God is going to lay out for Daniel exactly the kingdoms of the world before his kingdom comes. And then from, from, from Babylon, we move down to the Medo-Persia. And we know that the Medo-Persians, they conquered who? Babylon. We know what happened. Absolutely. It's historical. And then he moves from the two arms. He moves down to the waist and the hip area. He moves down through here. And all of a sudden, we have, we have this, this nether kingdom, which is going to be who? It's going to be Greece. And we know that Alexander the Great came in like a leopard, and he knocked it all out. We know that that's truly history. It happened. And then we move down to the legs and the feet of iron and clay. Let me tell you what we find there. It's the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is the legs. But then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar has in his dream something he can't understand as well. There's a rock that is cut out of the mountain, and it says it's not cut out by human hands. And what is this rock? We know this rock is the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. And the rock rolled down the mountain, and it hits this figure, this big old massive thing that he sees, this, this, this image, and it just explodes this image into fine powder, and it just blows away. And what is that? There are four kingdoms from the time of Daniel, and the fifth one will be the king of kings when he sets his kingdom here, and his kingdom will reign forever. Listen to me. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the rock of ages. He is the cornerstone for what the church is built on. And in Daniel's vision there that he explains to Nebuchadnezzar, this big old stone that's not cut out by hands explodes and blows this whole thing up, these other kingdoms of the world, and this kingdom of God grows into a massive mountain. Jesus is coming again. My Bible says that he is the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. And you know what else it tells us in Hebrews? You and I don't need a mediator to go to Christ, to go to God. You don't need to go through me, is it ain't going to do you no good, to get to God. He is our high priest. Do you see what I'm saying? 
You don't have to go through anyone else to get to God. Why? Because you're a child of the living God. You're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. In Hebrews, he says, boldly come to the throne of grace and find mercy. Why? You can come to Jesus any single time you want to. You don't have to go through mama. You don't have to go through a saint. You go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the glory of the gospel. I hope your bridle's still on. But listen, if it's not, it's okay. Get the Word of God out and see what God says in His Word. Do you all understand me? Read His Word. Read His Word. Of course, Peter explaining to these here in Rome, I am a called apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because I was called by the very mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ to be, a, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Number two, because I literally have seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ with my very own eyes, which is a litmus test for being an apostle and being one within this small, mighty group of men called by God specifically for a purpose. Number three, because I was personally taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, he goes on and says, I saw visions and dreams and all kinds of things taken to the third heaven. That's inexpressible that I can't even share with you. So God gave me a thorn in the flesh so that I wouldn't become prideful and boastful. Paul was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then lastly, we learned that this individual, in order to be a called apostle, had to have been given the authority to work signs, wonders, and miracles. I hope that makes sense to you today. I hope it makes sense. So in the future, and you're going to see a lot of this, guys. You're going to see a bunch of this in the days to come. You're going to see world religious leaders who are going to be calling all the religions of the world together. And they're going to be having their arms together. We are the world. You know what I'm saying? We are the people, right? And you know what, he, what they're going to say? All roads, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Mormon, whether you're this, that, itchy, scratchy, whatever it is, it all is just simply your way to God. How many of you have seen that lately? Every single one of you have. But it's not the truth. Remember, Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Why is that important? Because we have a world of people out there that we love. You may have relatives. You may have parents. You may have children that have been deceived and have been taught things that weren't true. And they are the ones our heart goes out to. They're the ones that we're going to share the gospel with. They're the ones we're going to take the word of God to. And we're going to lay it out before them and say, please, you need to see what the word of God says about X, Y, and Z in order that you might come to know the resurrected Lord Savior and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And his salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. It is not by works. You need to know this Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. So listen, we aren't against them. They are a mission field. They're a mission field. We go to them in compassion, respect, and love. How would you like to be a Muslim that was raised somewhere in the Middle East? That all you've ever known since you were this tall 
is that you were a Muslim. How would you like that? Why do we take the gospel? Why? Because it's the power of God in 16th verse of chapter 1. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation for all who will simply believe. That's why. Let's pray. Father, Lord God, thank you, Lord, so much for these people that are here today. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of sharing your word. And Lord, our heart goes out to people that we know, family, my own family, friends, maybe siblings today, maybe parents, Lord, Father, that have, have not been taught your word, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd go to them by your spirit and begin to tenderize their heart, Lord, and Lord, to begin to make them aware of some things, Lord, that only you can do by your Holy Spirit, God. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us as believers who have no excuse whatsoever, that we would know the word of God, that we could go in love and compassion and Christ-likeness in order that they might not just be one of the broad roads that leads to destruction, but they would be on the narrow road that leads to eternal life through Christ Jesus. We love you today, Lord, for every cowboy and cowgirl, mom, dad, cousin, whoever's going to be here today, Lord. Please help us as a church body to show up and realize that this church is not just here to meet on Sunday, but we have a mission, and it's to take the gospel to cowboys in a Western culture. And although they may not be part of the culture, they can sure come and tell somebody a kind word and meet people, Lord. Help us to be a body that actually plugs in to the mission of our church, Lord. We're set apart for something different here. Help us to love these people who come here today and share the truth of the gospel, Lord Jesus, by the way that we interact with them and the opportunities that we have. Thank you for our arena team who's going to be busy working and putting this on and for their vision and their heart to serve you and for the chuck wagon. All those that are going to be working. Thank you, Lord, that our whole church is a team, Lord, in sharing the gospel. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.